Welcome to the ATL Alt Podcast. I am your host, Andre Sindate, and I have designed a podcast to interview founders, fund managers, investors, allocators, CEOs, entrepreneurs, and executives whose stories I believe will inspire, educate, and inform. All of our guests are investing capital, raising funds, executing transactions, closing deals, and serving clients. And many, perhaps like you, have overcome long odds, setbacks, adversity, difficult circumstances, and more. Through all of this, a story emerges, and it's typically the source and inspiration for why they're pursuing what they're doing today. Join us on ATL Alts, where our guests will take you on a personal and professional journey that will inspire, educate, and inform. This week on the ATL Alts podcast, I will be interviewing Carlos Torres de la Cuba, managing partner of AMG Block, a seed stage VC fund headquartered in Mexico City, focused on the fintech sector in Mexico and Spanish-speaking LATAM. Our discussion covered Carlos's upbringing in Mexico, his education, what it was like living in Madison, Wisconsin, and Boston, his corporate banking career, a fintech startup, working at a family office, and eventually the launch of AMG Block. We will break down the dynamic fintech space in Mexico and LATAM and where Carlos sees the most compelling investment opportunities today. This discussion will be interesting to anyone who wants to bridge their own educational gap as it relates to fintech, investing, emerging markets, venture capital, and to gain a better understanding of how roughly half of Latin America's population doesn't have access to financial services, particularly among lower income segments. The lack of seed and early stage capital in Mexico and Latin America is a major bottleneck of innovation, where technology solves structural issues rather than convenience. Many experts see Latin America where Southeast Asia was 10 years ago. Both regions have young populations where the median age is less than 30. Consumers are tech savvy. You have a high smartphone penetration. However, financial inclusion has been a challenge. Tune in to this episode of ATL Alts. If you're curious to understand the market dynamics for fintech investing in Mexico and to hear perspectives from an early stage VC founder, if you'd like to learn more, email us at info at atlalts.com or find us on social media at ATL Alts on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn. Please enjoy my interview with Carlos Torres de la Cuba, managing partner of AMG Block. Carlos Torres de la Cuba, welcome to ATL Alts. Thanks, Andres. Thanks uh, for having me here. It's been fascinating to dive into your firm, your background, and all the things you're working on. But let's begin with where you're from. I was born in Mexico City, uh, but uh, both my parents are from Peru, actually. Uh, so uh, they got married in Peru, but they moved to Mexico over 40 years ago. So I was uh, born and raised here in Mexico, but have had you know the opportunity to travel to Peru uh, as often as I can. Most of my family still resides in, in Peru. So I have a strong LATAM route uh, in, in across the region, I'd say. And yeah, I mean, I'm a little bit about myself. I'm married, I have a two-year-old daughter, I'm uh, expecting my second son in a little over a month. And uh, yeah, man, right now we're focused on, you know, building this seed stage uh, VC fund focused in, in, on FinTech in Mexico. 
What role, if any, did your family play in your decision to launch AMG Block? They are a big part of why I'm doing what I'm doing, trying to build, uh, I'd say, a legacy and, and, and something to leave behind for future generations as well. Tell us a little bit about your education. Yeah, no, uh, for sure. Uh, so, as I said, I mean, I grew up here in Mexico, but when I was little, um, so my dad used to work for a big uh, constructing company, and uh, he was, we were moved uh, to Argentina. So uh, we, we lived in Buenos Aires uh, for about a year. Initially, we were supposed to stay there for about four, but at the end of the day, we ended up just staying for about a year. Uh, and then uh, continued my education here in, in, in Mexico. And in seventh grade, uh, my parents uh, sent me to study to Wisconsin. So I spent a year in, in Wisconsin at a legionary school near Madison and uh, continued obviously here in, uh, after a year here in Mexico. I was always keen on uh, um, math subject. The one that I never really liked was history. So I sort of knew where my path was going to go. How did you decide what degree to pursue in university? I, I was looking into what sort of field I wanted to tap into. I looked at, you know, applied mathematics, something in that regard, but too much math wasn't really going to build it. So I decided to study industrial engineering, which I thought, and I still think it's a great combination of different subjects. You're able to dive into physics, chemistry, uh, math, even the operational side of business. Uh, you're even, uh, you, you even have classes where you're able to use your hand. So it's a great career to sort of enable a wider career. So you studied industrial engineering. What did you do after you graduated from university? To be honest, I didn't know I was going to be a bank. Uh, uh, so I, I started working with my dad on, on a, a construction project. And I realized it, it, it really wasn't a fit for me. So uh, I did that for a brief period of time. And then I had the opportunity to, to join uh, HSBC at uh, what was called the, the IBC, which is the International Business Center, uh, which was a way for uh, to connect, you know, international companies that wanted to uh, uh, operate in Mexico. We were the first point of contact for corporate clients. Uh, and then I had the opportunity to continue as a corporate relationship manager, uh, handling the bank's products and services for corporate clients uh, uh, across Mexico and across different industries. And that, that's, uh, I'd say, the first time I realized that the traditional banking system is focused on the 1% of the entire landscape of SMEs, in, in, at least in Mexico. I mean, the number of clients that we had, they had to uh, comply with a specific characteristics. At the time, they were they had to be co uh, corporate clients that sold a specific amount yearly. So if, if a company that was looking... Uh, to hire certain products or services uh, from the HSBC, the first question we had to ask is, what's your annual revenue? And if it didn't fall within our corporate banking tunnel, we had to send them to other divisions. And obviously, the, the attention was a little bit different. Despite some of the challenges, what were some of the positive takeaways from your banking experience? I mean, it, it allowed me to, as an operator, you know, learn the ins and outs of, of the banking industry. Uh, and then I decided to continue my career at a fund focused on sustainable projects in energy and water here in Mexico. Uh, it was a company that was uh, funded, uh, I mean, funded by 
you know, development banks and uh, uh, private financial institutions. But at the time, the company had a lot of exposure with the housing market. And in back in 2012, uh, the Mexican housing market sort of collapsed a little bit. Uh, so obviously the, 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 the company uh, uh, decided to declare a bankruptcy. So I continued my uh, career at a regional bank uh, that's currently one of the leading digital banks in, in Mexico. Uh, I worked there as a corporate uh, relationship manager, uh, again, handling uh, uh, you know, products and services for a specific type of corporate client. So you had a couple of stints at banks. At what point did you decide, I might want to do something different? And consider some different career options. You know, I decided I, I wanted to do maybe something different or explore a different career pathway. So I decided to study my MBA and uh, I studied in Boston for a, a one-year MBA. And after my program, I worked for the venture arm of a family office that wanted to tap into the startup community in, in the Boston region. And that's when I, you know, started delving into the venture landscape. I had done angel investing before, but hadn't really, you know, looked at, like you said, the alternative investmentscape in detail, right? What was your experience, Carlos, with trying to secure paperwork or a visa or sponsorship to continue working in the U.S.? You have an OPT, which allows you to work for about a year, but if you're not eligible for a working visa or you don't have, you don't have a sponsor, you don't have the opportunity to work in, in the U.S., right? So uh, after my work permit expired, uh, I returned to Mexico and joined as investor and director of finance for a fintech startup that provides loan to the underserved SME market in, in Mexico. Um, there are different, I'd say, financial institutions here in Mexico that target different sectors. So the goal of the startup was to turn it into a regulated company within the financial uh, uh, industry here in Mexico that you know, providing loan to pretty much the underserved uh, market here. And, and uh, obviously as director of finance, we were always looking for funding, whether it's debt or equity instruments. And that's when we sort of realized that there's a huge gap, you know, in early stage funding, uh, uh, not only in fintech companies uh, across different industries, but in the region as a whole. The number of VCs still being developed. I mean, there's probably less than 50 VCs in, in Mexico investing across the entire nation, industries and stages. The startup was founded with uh, uh, senior executives that, that had more than 40 years in banking. And despite the fact that we had such a, you know, a great founding team, we had a really tough time you know, uh, getting uh, a funding to continue, obviously, the operations. Uh, so that's when, you know, I, I uh, decided to look into the, the, the venture landscape and focus on bridging this gap, right, in, in early stage funding. One of my, my venture partners uh, was a legal director at the uh, Fentech startup. So he's been a, a great add-on, providing, obviously, a regulatory and legal clearance around this space. Fintech right now in Mexico is a regulated market. I mean, there was a, a new Fintech law that was passed around three years ago. It only regulates right now two business models. It's a payments and the crowdfunding. Initially, it, it uh, considered regulating the virtual assets, but unfortunately, the central authorities decided that blockchain was too, too complicated for them to regulate at the time. So uh, virtual assets are right now in uh, the sandbox environment. 
But other fintech verticals represent a huge opportunity as well. I mean, you have uh, industry verticals like prop tech, right? Insure tech, uh, wealth management, enterprise resource uh, uh, management, uh, you know, blockchain applications in across different uh, industries as well. So the opportunity to invest uh, in, in fintech spans across all these business verticals and how we came into developing our, our investment thesis and uh, what we're focused on right now. Before we go forward, I got to ask you, what was it like as a young teenager from Mexico City living in Madison, Wisconsin? It was the first time that I was you know, separated from my parents for such a long period of time. You know, living in another country, speaking a different language, a different culture, that sort of exposure really was life-changing. And, and it's one of the reasons why I love traveling, right? I mean, traveling is a great way to experience, you know, different cultures, uh, different languages, uh, food. I'm a big foodie, so uh, I love to try different food from different parts of the world. Uh, and that... I'd say experience really taught me to benefits of enjoying different cultures as well. And then you did your MBA back in the U.S. So I did my MBA at Holt International Business School. It's a lot of, I'd say, international students. And this, this particular sort of focus on the international experience and being able to get to know and network and, and leave the MBA experience with uh, over 100 nationalities was something that really caught my attention. And, and that, that's why uh, I decided to do it outside uh, Mexico. Uh, I, I was, I considered like you doing a, a sort of an executive MBA whilst still working, cause obviously the, the, the cost of the MBA, the, the opportunity cost, it's a lot to handle. And that experience of being able to, again, live outside your comfort zone and building relationships with people from Nigeria, Venezuela, India, all parts of Europe. I mean, that experience, I wasn't going to be able to get that if I did my MBA local. Yeah, I would have been able to network with, if I did it in Mexico, with, you know, people in, in, in the Mexican ecosystems. But I wanted to sort of get this international experience. And that's a big reason why I did that, you know. And, and I still have contacts with, you know, a lot of my MBA friends, uh, you know, people living in Norway, in, in like I said, uh, uh, Egypt, Nigeria, India. I pretty much have an Airbnb, you know, anywhere in the world. And that was through my MBA experience. How did the experiences you'd had up to now inform how you decided to set up your firm and your new fund? I just want to say that, you know, I appreciate you, you know, taking the time to this uh, podcast. I mean, this uh, educational material out there is something that uh, I'd say needed. And why I say this is that when we started out, you know, the, the building the firm, we found this educational gap, right? In terms of, for our case, understanding on the asset class, sometimes the industry, the technology. I mean, I, I personally had friends that when I said, blockchain, they were like, I have no idea what you're talking about, right? When I say the, when I said a venture, I haven't heard that before. So this educational gap is something, a challenge for building our firm. And that's why part of our strategy was to target international investors where the asset class, the industry and the technology were better understood and that they understand the potential and, and the returns of venture as an asset class, the opportunity within FinTech, and 
obviously the the underserved uh, Latin American opportunity. Right now, LATAM is being compared to what Southeast Asia was probably 10 years ago. And you're seeing that investment dynamics in Asia, how they developed over the years. And it's, uh, I'd say, the right timing to be in LATAM. FinTech obviously represents a huge opportunity. When you look at sort of the statistics in the region, I mean, the, the number of unbanked population is uh, still uh, upwards of 50%, but you have a lot of uh, over 60% of towards more 70% of smartphone penetration. So obviously technology plays a huge role in you know financial inclusion. What role, if any, does blockchain technology play in your investment thesis? For us, technologies like blockchain are poised to disrupt, you know, the traditional financial industry, and it's a, a core part of our thesis. What have been some of the growing pains out of the gate? When you look at the VC landscape in other parts of Latin America, say Peru, I mean, there's probably less than 10 VCs in Peru, right? Uh, Argentina is a little bit more developed. Colombia is another tech hub that's growing. Uh, Brazil is a completely different monster uh, in terms of, you know, uh, BC funding and uh, obviously the, the cultural and, and language barriers uh, represents an, an additional entry barrier. And, and Mexico, I mean, it's an ecosystem that started to grow. We started to attract uh, uh, also international investors into the region. You know, big unicorn was born called Cabac, which started at, as a, a marketplace to buy and sell cars. When you think about it, I mean, you're talking about an industry probably that thrived 10, 20 years ago, but they found a problem. Uh, they made it easy for anyone to go and buy or sell a car through a legitimate system. And they've started to expand their offerings, uh, particularly within FinTech, and started to provide loans to all these customers that you know, want to buy and sell cars. And right now it's valued at $4 billion. The company is not even five-year-old. So these type of opportunities, being, be, being able to identify the problems in the region and being able to build that solution, that's what we're looking for and, and uh, you know, why we're excited of uh, being in the space right now. Maybe you could spend a little bit of time telling us about the market dynamics that Mexico and Spanish-speaking LATAM yeah, I mean, in terms of the investment dynamics, I mean, it's completely different than in other more developed markets. When you when you talk about a $250,000 investment here in, in, in Mexico or in Latin America, that amount of money could give a startup runway up to a couple of years. And in, in, in more developed markets, that probably lasts less than six months. And it's still considered, you know, sometimes friends and family, but it represents a huge uh, upside opportunity in, in terms of the, of the investment dynamics here in, in the region. The valuations are uh, something that's also very different. I mean, a $500,000 investment could uh, you know, give you 10, 20% equity allocation within a, a growing startup. And that's something that wouldn't happen in, in you know, the US. Why? Because, and I've seen this from other VCs in the in the US publicly saying, you get an offer for less than 3 million valuation at the seed stage, don't consider it. Why? Because the market is completely different. Uh, that sort of investment dynamics in, in the region is 
I'd say an opportunity, but also something to bridge in terms of educating not only the investors, but only the, also the entrepreneur. It's, it's important for entrepreneurs to understand what they're getting, not, not because of the lack of capital, uh, you're going to accept any investor into your cap table. You need to understand other terms when considering an investment, evaluations, the, the control terms, uh, board dynamics, this uh, type of resources like what you're doing and what's being built in, in other parts of the ecosystem are, are definitely something uh, required within, I'd say, the ecosystem. And uh, that's why we, we try to also take sort of a, a, a human approach into investing. Not only provide a term sheet, here's what we're valuing the company uh, based on these different methodologies. We try to look past the traditional, say, uh, uh, due diligence and uh, take more of a, a I'd say, a, a subjective investment decision. And whenever we can't invest, you know, we, we try to provide value in, in, in other ways, whether it's reviewing a deck and providing feedback or introducing to other potential investors that might be interested in the opportunity or provide feedback on why it's not a good fit for us. Uh, maybe the stage uh, which in you know precedes uh, deals that right now wouldn't be a good fit because you know where the the company is at right now, or because pretty much the the, the interest uh, uh, doesn't fall within our investment thesis, but we are able to connect with you know investors within that specific industry or target geography. And there are a lot of reasons to say no, uh, and most I'd say investors. Uh, uh, don't provide this type of uh, value add or educational support that enables, I'd say, entrepreneurs to continue their uh, their journey. What are some of the hallmarks that you like to see in, in founders and in their business plans? My first advice would be, I mean, don't be afraid to reach out. I remember one time I was at an event in, in Guadalajara, which is sort of the Silicon Valley of Mexico. And uh, I was talking to an entrepreneur and, and uh, I was telling him, you know, what we're doing and, and uh, our focus. And the moment he realized, you know, I'm talking to an investor, he, start, he started to hyperventilate. I mean, honestly, and I was like, I'm, I'm, I'm a person too. I mean, you don't have to look at us. I mean, we're no different than you. I mean, we as fund managers are entrepreneurs as well. I mean, we... Uh, pretty much have to go through the entire process of what we're selling is a, a different strategy, but we're, we also go through that same process, right? So don't be afraid to reach out to, you know, potential investors, uh, angel investors, accelerators. And what I would say is everyone's, uh, once you ask for it, I mean, everyone's pretty open to collaborate and, and help in any way. What we look for, you know, in founders is, I'd say their passion, and, and perseverance on what they're building. Once you get to know them a little bit better, you, you'll understand, or, or you'll try to, or we try to look for other characteristics as uh, their ability to learn, their, their thoughtfulness and their work ethic. These are some uh, non-traditional means of looking at an opportunity. Once you go you know, a little bit past the, the, the team and what you look for in an entrepreneur or in a team, I mean, you do have to look at uh, the problem solutions, market dynamics, go-to-market strategies, sort of the, the competitive landscape, 
who their target customers are. And that that's something that we can also help you with. I mean, understanding a little bit of what you're building, who you're trying to build it for, and, and uh, what the best way to go at it might be. You know, going back to what this, this passion and perseverance that we cannot teach. So all, I'd say, founders out there and, and, and entrepreneurs, you need to really convey that for others to understand that you're in it for the long term and, and that you're able to build whatever you're trying to build and, and uh, despite the ups and downs, because there will be ups and downs along I love what you said about thoughtfulness and passion and perseverance and work ethic. I think those are characteristics and qualities about founders and managers that can easily be overlooked in due diligence. And oftentimes where people worked, where they went to school, what networks they have plays a greater role in due diligence than someone may want to admit. Let's transition to several of the sectors you find most interesting right now? Some of the, the I'd say, business verticals that we're more, most uh, excited about is, for one, obviously payments and remittances, crypto adoption in, in within that specific space. When you look at how right now the, the, the remittance market works, the time and the commissions for you know a, a Latino in the US to send money back home, so I'd say a broken process. And crypto solves that. The only problem with crypto adoption right now is the ability for the receiving person in the LATAM country, for instance, to use that crypto or to ten, turn that into their local currency. And there are solutions being built around. Uh, insurance, insure tech represents also an exciting opportunity. I mean, the number of insured people in, in Mexico is probably less than 10%. So there's opportunities across auto, health, life insurance, and the educational gap of people understanding the benefits of having insurance that's something to bridge also. Wealth management, another uh, business vertical. Right now, investment solutions in the region are cars, and they are mostly tailored to, I'd say, investment savvy, whether it's millennial or urgency. There is, I'd say, opportunity there as well. Lending, believe it or not, it's opportunity as well. I mean, in, in, in the SME market, and, and this is something that we experienced uh, firsthand. The number of SMEs that are overlooked by the traditional uh, banking system is overwhelming. The requisites for them to get any type of loans are also overwhelming. It's, uh, I'd say, an inefficient process, and it's a bottleneck of growth, in at least in Mexico. Here in, in, in Mexico, represents over 98% of the GDP, and it's uh, also an overlooked uh, opportunity as well. So when we say fintech, we try to look at all these, I'd say, financial innovations being built through technology that provide a means for whether it's uh, uh, the B2B or the B2C market to uh, dive into the, uh, I'd say, financial ecosystem. Just to provide our listeners with some context around the length of time it takes to do financial service transactions and why the opportunity for AMG Block to invest in early stage fintech and blockchain companies is pretty compelling. Can you explain the process for opening a bank account in Mexico? You have to go in person to your whatever bank you want to uh, work with at least five times before they even open the account. Uh, you have to deal with, obviously, K KYC and AML, 
uh, which is a required process. But the amount of time, the amount of papers that they require, it's a broken process. And it hinders also new business. If it takes me four months to open an account, I can't pretty much issue an invoice for four months. So how are you supposed to continue operating the business? So, so yeah, it's a definitely a broken process. There are solutions like uh, uh, Oyster here in Mexico that are focused on you know, being the digital bank for SMEs. Uh, um, there are other solutions for neobanks uh, uh, targeting the, the, uh, more the, the B2C ecosystem and providing an, an entryway into the financial uh, ecosystem for the unbanked. And they're trying to simplify the process, right? I mean, that it's it's still a pain point here, believe it or not, to open an account and, and uh, trying to deal with any type of banking, I'd say, process. It's completely inefficient. How do CEOs that you're meeting with think about market expansion beyond their borders to other LATAM countries and potentially the United States? This closeness, I'd say, and, and, and this... Like you said, a, a trading partnership between Mexico and the U.S. represents an even bigger opportunity. It's an entryway for LATAM startups into this market, uh, which represents a huge opportunity. And, and uh, it goes both ways, again, for Mexican startups that want to expand and they're looking outside of the U.S., LATAM countries represent a huge opportunity as well. You're able to replicate a lot of your business models from... Uh, across different countries, um, Brazil being a little bit different, but also within that type of market dynamics as well. As well. I mean, Brazil, the population, I think it's upwards of 300 million. So yeah, the, the opportunities in, in, in Brazil as well are open for business. And uh, so you'll see a lot of these market dynamics within startups across the region. What do you think are some of the catalysts that create additional foreign investment into you know, firms like yourself, but but just overall the region. Having boots on the ground and partner with, uh, you know, a, a locally with summer. The the understanding or living through some of these pain points within or across different industries is, is something that you have to experience. The way we see it, you know, a lot of the innovation going on in other more developed markets, particularly within fintech, is that uh, they tell to solve convenience issue. You want to transact faster or you want to send money faster to your friends. That's convenient. The innovations being built in emerging markets are around solving structural problems. And unless you've been able to at least uh, experience it firsthand or, or see it firsthand, you won't get a, a good, I'd say, understanding on the opportunity you know, across emerging markets. And that's something that we're always uh, uh, looking for, you know, in terms of partnerships or collaborations for not only international investors or startups, you know, that want to tap into uh, the ecosystem and being able to provide this, uh, I'd say, local uh, overview on, on the market dynamics. Before we transition to our final segment, Carlos, let's talk a little bit about Mexico and Mexico City. You were raised there, you live there. What do you want our listeners to know about coming to visit and traveling and business opportunities? Mexico is uh, uh, known for some of these famous tourist destinations like 
you know, Los Cabos, Cancun, Tulum is uh, growing across uh, the European tourism industry. But Mexico City is often overlooked. There's a lot to do, I'd say, culturally, gastronomically in, in the city. And uh, we're always, you know, encouraging people to come visit and, and let us know when they're here. So uh, hopefully, and that is, you're able to come visit down. I haven't traveled for a year, Carlos, so consider your invite to be accepted. And I look forward to uh, having a local uh, guide uh, show me around the wonderful city. Carlos, I'd like to wrap up with some rapid fire. So... With no further ado, what are some of your favorite books? One book that I'm reading and, and that I would recommend is uh, called Moonshot. So what's a good show or series that you've watched recently? Some uh, uh, series that I tend to, you know, put on the background and, and, and uh, do other stuff are The Office. I'm a big fan of The Office, uh, uh, Parks and Recreations, uh, How I Met Your Mother, this type of comedy, like a short uh, episode series, uh, I'm a big fan. But uh, one that I uh, uh, recently saw that I enjoyed, um, it's a Mexican, it's on Netflix. It's a Mexican series called Who Killed Sarah? There are a couple of uh, uh, Spanish ones as well. One's called, um, in Spanish, La Casa de Papel which translate, uh, translates to uh, um, well, it's a, a paper house, but I think the, 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 the name on Netflix is uh, uh, Money Heist. Maybe? Yeah, yeah, I've watched a little bit of that. It's a, it's a good one. What are some tools you use every day for your work, Carlos? For business, uh, believe it or not, I've uh, recently uh, started to use Twitter. I mean, the the VC Twitter landscape is uh, something that really struck my attention and, and started to use uh, Twitter a little bit more. Slack is a, a huge use for me. I mean, the, the different Slack channels uh, uh, or either, you know, some LATAM ecosystem or emerging fund manager ecosystem. Slack represents a, a, a huge, uh, 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 I'd say, gateway into these type of closed networks, right? And uh, those are, you know, the, the, the ones that come to mind mostly. Carlos, your family's growing, your firm is growing, you have a new fund. What are some of the big lessons learned from the past year? Yeah, I mean, for me, it's the biggest, I'd say, takeaways more on the, the the family side. I mean, being able to you know spend more time with my kid, uh, my wife, uh, uh, it's I'd say priceless, right? And and I think it's gonna change the way uh, we used to look at you know work dynamics. Uh, being able to work from home and provide the same value that you used to you know by going to the office. It's, it's interesting. I mean, here in Mexico, and, and it's crazy. I mean, uh, the average person used to spend daily at least two hours in transit. So those that, that's two hours uh, out of every day that you could, you know, provide additional value if you work from home. So, those, so these changes in, in, in the work dynamics and, and uh, 
how companies realize that they don't need their employees sitting, you know, 24 seven uh, and providing these, I'd say, sort of uh, personal advantages of, you know, spending time with family uh, is something that COVID will definitely change and something that I personally uh, am grateful for. I mean, I've been able to spend the last year more time, obviously, seeing my because my, my daughter is two years, so she's been, you know, uh, 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 one year in COVID. So for her, it's pretty normal to see me uh, on a daily basis in the morning. Uh, and I go to it, uh, uh, I go uh, have the lunch every day and in the afternoons, right? Which before COVID was a little bit different. I'd say uh, you have to look at the positives that, you know, COVID brought in some way. Carlos Torres de la Cuba, managing partner at AMG Block, an early stage VC fund focused on the fintech and blockchain opportunity in Mexico and Spanish speaking LATAM. Thank you for joining me. I'd like to thank Carlos Torres of AMG Block for joining this week's podcast. You can follow Carlos Torres on Twitter at, at AMG Block, and you can learn more about his company, AMG Block, at the company's website, amgblock.com. You can find links and show notes on our website, atlalts.com, which will be launching very soon. And please sign up for our mailing list. If you enjoyed this conversation, please subscribe to our podcast, ATL Alts, wherever you enjoy your favorite podcasts, and tell a friend. Please join us for our next show, which will feature an interview with Antonio Luke and Adriana Suarez of Matterscale Ventures. Matterscale Ventures invests in early-stage technology startups offering high-quality and accessible services for the majority, founded by overlooked entrepreneurs located in the U.S. and Latin America. Thank you very much for tuning in. We always welcome your questions, feedback, and guest ideas. Please email us at info at atlalts.com or engage with us on social media at ATL Alts on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and our company LinkedIn page.